This is a Media Lab podcast. On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm still Dave in 2022. And I'm The Machine. It's it's not like we have taken six weeks off and are just getting back into recording. No, we no. continue to do this each week. This is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in yes. order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film La Samurai. <laughs> Tu as des ennuis Il faut trouver le moyen de la faire craquer, alors elle parlera. Que le juge d'instruction n'est plus qu'à l'inculper de faux témoignages ou de n'importe quoi. Et le petit Jeff Costello, on le fera asseoir ici sur une chaise. Costello, Jeff, 30 ans, sans condamnation, inconnu au sommier, correspondrait au signalement donné. On ne portait aucune arme sur lui. L'homme portait un chapeau. Mettez votre chapeau. Le Samurai. Le Samurai. 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 Samwise Gamgee. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. They are contributing to help us continue the show. Plus, each month, we do do a bonus episode over there. Depending on how timing works, you might be listening to Panic in Needle Park this week. Or <laughs> next week. Who knows, in the fullness of time, what that's going to look like. But that's what the plan is. We did it. Dave, it has come, of course, to the time each podcast where we have to do some story progression. Ooh, okay? right. Before Narrative. we get to talking about this. Plot. Yes, before we get start talking about this week's film, we're still hovering up here on the spaceship. For new mm-hmm. listeners, of course, we were thrown across time and space last right. season and makes had sense. to spend an entire year coming back. It, it really made sense. It was completely worth it. There was such a huge payoff to the people who listened to us travel across time and space. 104 weeks, you know, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it's building. It's building to something. It's building up to something. Yeah. I'm, it's going to be totally worth it. Anyways, we're hovering here in a bit of a quarantine before we go back down to Earth and start our season on 1982. I don't know. The, the, the machine has been acting all weird, I feel. Says the goofiest looking man in the world. It's just been like silent and stoic and it's carrying that sword for no reason. It brought back a bird onto the plane. I don't know. It's been, it's a been super cage. odd. A bird caged bird. Yeah. I mean, it's important. A fluffy caged bird. We'll see if that comes in handy. You would think, you know, for us, not to get too much art imitating life, but we kind of feel like birds in a cage waiting to be set free. Don't we? I just went smashing pumpkins in my head. So, you know, I lost track of our narrative. What are we talking about again? You built a machine. It's malfunctioning. It just brought a sword and a bird on the plane ship. So uh, what are we going to do about that? Uh, Well, we'll wait till the end of the episode. We'll wait till the end of the episode. Okay. Yeah. Much more prescient here, Dave, is that on the 17th of this very month is our two-year anniversary Ooh. of the show. Not, We are not in a relationship. Well, you could argue so. that we are, really. <laughs> we spent a lot of time together, Kyle. I don't think mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. realize how much time. So, <laughs> so much time. Of course, the other last thing before we get into our history with this week's film is this week has seen the loss of three huge heavyweights of film and TV, at least at the time of this recording, which means we lost Betty White, Peter Bogdanovich, and Sidney Poitier, all passed away within a week of one another. So I thought it was just a very... I want to honor this time right here. Start off on a somber note here. We have not talked about either Betty White or Sidney Poitier in the realm of our show, Mm, mm. Uh, but any thoughts you have about either of those two performers? I don't know. Uh, It's a loss. I guess everybody has to die, Kyle. That's my thought. (laughs) (laughs) You might say that that might be the theme of this week's movie. You know, Betty White uh, is Betty White. You know, her 
uh, so many resurgences of her career, but the latest being yeah. as a hilarious old lady who talks a lot of shit, just gave up on worrying about what people thought of her, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think the remarkable thing about Betty White, I knew the statistic already, but was the only person alive who had been on a television show, whether it's a guest star or the lead actress, whatever it happens to be, had been on a TV show every decade since television began. Well. Like she had that record. She had been on some sort of TV show. She also, like you said, I can't think of another person who had not one, not two, but three hugely successful sitcoms that she was either the star of or a supporting player on. She's, she's a entertainer, like a real one. You know, I was watching, we found, we found the gong show that Mike Myers oh, rebuilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember oh, the I, new gong show. Yeah. It was on the okay. CTV streaming app. Anyways, Not the original in. gong show from the 70s. No, but, that's, yeah. I grew up on that one because it was on cable TV. But anyways, uh, Helen found it. I walked in. You're not supposed to know it's Mike Myers, but I knew immediately it was Mike Myers. But Mike Myers also has this talent where no matter what the situation is, he has something to say, you know, and mm-hmm. Betty White and some of these older, just a different class, a different breed of performers that are so witty that they can handle whatever culture throws at them. And Betty White strikes me as somebody like that. She seems to always have a, mm. a retort or a bit waiting. And it's no surprise, I think, that she was able to stay relevant, uh, maybe without intending to do so. It just felt like that. Yeah, it's a loss. Um, and she's, I'm she's gold girls for life, man. This is yeah, one of my favorite thing. shows of all it's time. It's on... Uh, it's on uh, Disney Plus now, so I know if people I, want it, I, I you watch can go it, get Dave. <laughs> like you, you're telling me, like I don't know this. <laughs> well, I'm talking to the listeners because nobody else cares. Oh, okay. Kyle. Yeah. Uh, Sydney Poitier, of course. I mean, I've watched a bunch Sneakers. of his older films. That was his most Sneakers. important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the heat of the night, I was gonna say I don't know about the most important one, but in <laughs> um, the heat of the night has been the one that a lot of people have been sharing. I find on yes. social media here this week the epic moment of him backhanding a white man who had just slapped him, which was a pretty important thing in film. It was like I believe I can't say for sure. I'm pretty sure it is either the first time. Or very close to the first time, like a black man hit a white man on film. So that's a pretty big, pretty big moment to to do. This better not give you any ideas about hitting machines. Yeah, he he definitely represented Hollywood's attempt and uh, mm. compliance with civil rights. It is interesting though when we looked at 1971. I know that uh, when's in the heat of night, 60 something. 67. So I mean, the same we, actually the same year as this movie we're about to talk about. Right. So we did see sort of the uh, after effects with black exploitation sort of bubbling to the surface in the 70s. But America's got a weird cultural problem, don't it? Mm. And uh, when you watch some classic movies, even from you know 20s and 30s, black actors, black musicians had cultural influence. It just sucks that it took so much so much to get mm-hmm. to where we are now. But he's yeah, he's great. The thing about him that's interesting is I don't know, Kyle, is he too poised? There's something unrelatable mm. about him for me. I, I don't know. He seems I don't know. I he seems a little that's, that's uh, a weird thing to say, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, find I find I don't really watch Cinepoche movies. I think it ties into exactly what you were saying. When he came to prominence in like the 60s specifically, but the late 50s into the 60s, you kind of had to be. Yeah, of course. All of minorities say this, like the first to break ground has to be the perfect example of that race or that minority or else you're thrown under the bus. Yeah. So I think that might just be a product of the times. Anyone who, any of his peers... People that came up after him say he is one of the nicest people they have ever met oh, in Hollywood. So. Yeah, it just seems like it. Because you never hear any nascent controversy around him. I mean, you didn't mm-hmm. get you didn't get the Bill Cosby thing. Correct. <laughs> Shit yeah. didn't Even come though up. he made so many movies with Bill Cosby, it's kind of unfortunate yeah. <laughs> that so many of them well, that's have them in there. But. Bill Cosby. I mean, Bill Cosby is kind of the same thing. He, uh, he represented that next stage where he's trying to be warm and lovable. Mm-hmm. Ugh, so gross in hindsight. Right. Um. But he also played too hard on that. It's just it's just weird. Like watching all of these, it's not just black people. I mean, uh, white comedians do the same thing. You've got Jerry's uh, Seinfelds, and you got what's that asshole um, Andrew Dice Clay's, and you got right. Dave Chappelle's, and you've got you know like everybody's so many different personalities trying to push the envelope in different ways. But we're uh, babbling because we haven't recorded in a while. But Sidney uh, Poitier seems nice. Seems like a nice guy. Just lastly, of course, Peter Bogdanovich. We have covered him. 
He was the director of The Last Picture Show. He liked cravats and scarves. Yeah, lots of different scarves. Yeah. But he showed up as like bit parts in other people's films and TV. Like he had a, a recurring role on The Sopranos. Like people would know him if they saw him. We definitely covered him much more if you want to go and listen to our Last Picture Show episode. I would definitely seek out one of his first films called Targets. It actually is a very late stage Boris Karloff performance, which I think is actually very good. Of course, then Paper Moon and What's Up Doc and all the other great movies that he was a part of. So yeah, big loss. You watch a lot of movies, Kyle. You watch a lot. I like of movies. movies, Dave. You know, when people <laughs> listen to our show, the most common refrain is, does Dave even like things? <laughs> and the answer, my friend, is no, he doesn't. Well, he hates things. He I hates, <laughs> he loves hating things. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, that, that's, you know, that's passion in and of self. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love, uh, I love being able to not like things. It's, it's freedom. Mm. That's freedom. I, I, I jest here a little bit, but I, I don't know. I do. I, I just, I, I like the whole process of me sitting down and watching something I haven't seen ever. Oh, sure. Um, and there's, and there's fun of like revisiting the classics, but I always like discovering. I was like, oh, how does this fit into the history of movies? And like, ooh, this is fun. And that's why we do so well, because I always look on the positive side and you're always looking at the negative side, Dave. We're well, like a yin and yang. <laughs> Racist. You both are the worst. Yeah. So, so as a segue, what a great way mm-hmm. to get into the movie we're going to talk about today, because yeah. uh, I've never seen it. Okay. Well, this is what I was going to ask. Do you have any history whatsoever with the samurai? No. I think when I signed up for Criterion... It was fairly prominently advertised. I've seen the mm-hmm. poster on the Letterbox and AFI's sort of uh, top movies uh, graphics. Well, it wouldn't before. be on AFI because this is not an American film, but... Ah, okay. Well, wherever, you know, I've Maybe, seen the places, photograph sure. in other yeah. places. And then when we did Red Sun uh, and we learned about Alain Delon, uh, Alain mm-hmm. Delon, this came up in the background a little bit. So, it's yes. exciting because I feel like he's good looking. And I want to see him uh, do stuff in a trench coat, right? Well, that's important. Uh, and see him in his you know natural language of French, of, of French, right? Because we saw him of in the an France. English school. Yes. Of the France. Because uh, we saw him in an English role. I think, I, I can't remember if it came up or not. We did talk about a movie that takes a lot of inspiration from this movie, which is Ghost Dog. Because Jim Jarmusch uh, yeah. has said right. explicitly, like, he took all this stuff from the samurai that he loved and made this kind of, like, new story in and, Ghost Dog. And made it better. <laughs> and he definitely kept a, a lot of the same plot points and, yeah. and changed some other stuff uh, within it. But anyway, so there's a, a good uh, case study to be seen there. Mm-hmm. I'm like you in that I have heard about this movie for a long time. Mm. Uh, so I'm excited to jump into it to kind of, like, fill in those gaps in my, again, movie-loving history. In fact, most of like the French New Wave stuff, I just have not seen. So this is going to be fun to kind of delve in and kind of start to dip my toes into that. But it's really just by the name. I actually don't even know what this movie is about. Right. To be really honest. Yeah, I think that's one <laughs> I just of the know things the name that of it. draws you in. It's a French film called The Samurai. So you're just like, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because samurais are not French. Well, I guess we'll have to find Let's out. Let's find out. To increase our SEO, mm-hmm. if you want to go back and listen to our Red Sun episode, definitely do that for our history with Alain Delon. Go oh, back and man. listen to our Ghost Dog episode if you want to hear about another interpretation of this kind of similar story. But Ghost Dog's I great. think, honestly, we need to go sit down, watch this movie, and then come back and tell people what we think. I'm ready. Just push the bird to the corner. No, just push him, push yeah. him over here. Stop it. Stop squawking. You know, what I dislike is that it just keeps looking at me. The bird is what I'm talking about. I was going to say, the machine's got very beady eyes, but the bird does. The bird's very nice. Beadier. <laughs> Let's get into the most important part of our show, Dave, which is selling out to the man. So, got to keep the lights <laughs> on. This, uh, this ship won't run itself. I gave you an undisclosed amount of money just moments I just, ago. I just received it. Yeah, so, I feel yeah. very pleased. Wasn't, wasn't it worth your time for the last three months? The amount of money that I just sent you. I just you. see this hand that's trying to feed us and I see you trying to bite it and I'm just, try- I'm uh-huh. just trying to figure out. All right. Yeah. No. We'll see how long I can be an antagonist. <laughs> Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. You know, this week, Dave, I get to talk to you about ATB, specifically ATB Cares. 
they deeply care, Dave. You saw, you saw the money, right? Mm, you saw mm. the money that came through. Right, yeah. They care. They care about us. I felt, I felt cared for. Well, here's a way that you can give back, Dave, because I know that you're always looking for ways to give back. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a thing. If there was a motto of David Yun, it would be give back. That would be the first thing I thought of. I, sh- I don't even want it. I don't even want it in the first place. So I got to keep giving it back. So here's this thing. ATB Cares, that's an actual program. ATB Cares makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes that they care about. You can donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares. And ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Albertan charities. So if you want to learn more and you want to donate, you can visit atbcares.com. Dave, when is davidyuncares.com going to be a thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's coming. A site's under construction. You just got to f- earn enough money to buy the Really, domain. how that website works is that whatever donation you make, 20% of it just goes to David Young. So. 20. It's, it's a little higher than 20. It's like 120. All right, let's talk about... <laughs> it's like my effort. It's like the amount of effort I put in this. Let's talk about mm-hmm. Park Power. Remember Park yes, Power? Yes, let's do it. Yeah, they're your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. And, you know, it's not just power, Kyle. They offer internet, mm-hmm. electricity, natural gas, internet. It's fascinating. They've got low rates. They've got awesome service. And they also profit share with local charities. They give it back. They give it back, Kyle. Uh, there's mm-hmm. good people there. Park Power is owned by Chris Kozowski, who has a growing and well-deserved reputation. <laughs> I just, I lost it. Who has a growing and well-deserved reputation for being a guy who cares. If you're in the Edmonton area, you may have seen him around town in his signature bow tie, supporting local causes and boosting local businesses. He walks that talk with his business. It's why Park Power shares its profits with local charities. As a new customer, you can choose a community partner to receive 10% of the proceeds from your electricity bill. Uh, For example, CKUA Radio Network. I don't know what that is, Kyle, Mm -hmm. but I'm glad they're getting that money. Visit parkpower.ca slash CKUA to find out more. I hear it's warming up on in in Calgary right now. So yeah, it, it, that was or time it did. to make sure that your furnace is working. And yeah, yeah or maybe yeah. It did a week ago. Who right. knows at this point where, yeah. where time falls? But yeah, this Go this is working good. All right, Dave, we're back from having watched the Samurai. I always throw it to you first. So to keep a tradition, what did you think of this movie, Well, Samurai? Uh, I don't know. I should throw it back to you. What's more important, Kyle, style or substance? Oh, I think this is the fight we're going to get into because I know <laughs> that you hate style. <laughs> <laughs> like everything. Uh, no, I don't yeah. hate style. I think I enjoyed it but i was also disappointed by it and what i guess Mm. my problem was that i I actually i don't know what it was there's so many things that i should really get into and there's i'm trying to verbalize what it is that made me feel like it missed the mark it felt like to me kind of uh, an homage to classic film noir without without a powerful enough sort of narrative thing underneath mm. even if it's kitschy like a nice real crime this one was more very stereotypically french it's like beautiful pouting women guys who smoke too much uh not a lot of dialogue which is technically fine and in the end the sort of uh, big climactic wrapping up moments they didn't miss the mark it just felt a little flat it felt a little flat for me i think i was expecting too much you know for a movie called le samurai i didn't actually feel like there was anything to do with samurais in it. There's nothing to do with... Like, they have a quote at the beginning uh, from the Bushido. Which, can I, can I break in here? Is made up. That's yeah. not actually from the Bushido. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, it, it's, it's just this guy who uh, can't emote. And, uh, like, not acting-wise, but, like, the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that's not how I associate samurais existing, you know? It's, mm-hmm. He didn't even really adhere to any kind of code. He just kind of uh, walked in and out, tried to protect himself from being uh, arrested. Uh, I mean, spoiler alert, uh, kills a bunch of people and then he gets shot. That's mm-hmm. that's where I'm standing. I'm kind of like, ah. So the only part of that explanation that you just stated that I agree with <laughs> is that <laughs> if, if, if we are to enter this movie in with that knowledge, and which I did, where this is like, one of the best movies of all time. It unfortunately hampers my viewing experience because Mm -hmm. there is a certain level that I'm expecting. So as an example, Dave, because you wouldn't stop 
bitching about it for the last three years. I finally watched this week also, because I had nothing but time, The Seven Samurai. So I watched a good movie. All the samurais <laughs> before I watched the one samurai. Right. So um, that was a mistake. And that movie, even with that knowledge of people telling you for your entire life, this is one of the best movies of all time. It's one of the best movies of all time. I'm telling you, it's one of the best movies of all time. For me, stood up. I was it's like, yeah, one of the best movies, of, of, the all best movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. And so I get to be one of those annoying people now that has to tell people that. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. I think it's great. Welcome, Kyle. Welcome. <laughs> well, one of us, one of us. So when I go into this movie, kind of expecting, like, I'm not going to like, well, it has to uh, top The Seventh Samurai, no, but I'm no. still like, expecting kind of the same level of, I don't know, filmmaking, acting, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think it necessarily got there, but I no. did really enjoy this movie. I have to say, like, I still did enjoy this movie quite a bit, Just but it would probably never... Eyes. Because Alain Delon kept looking at you. Correct. Uh, I don't think we'd ever even get close to my list of like my personal top 250. No. Let's just say. No. You can definitely see how it inspired people. Yes. I'm trying to put myself in the year 1967 and be like, oh, okay, I can see what they're doing with like form and how they're uh, being provocative and changing things. So if you get into that context, I think there's some interesting stuff. But by and large, I think to enjoy this movie, this is one of those great examples of a vibe movie. Mm-hmm. Meaning... You either have to lock into the tone or you're going to be sitting there the entire time being like, nah, I don't, I'm not really engaged with this. And that's hard for, because everyone's going to have a personally different relationship with that. For me, I kind of locked in for the vast majority of this. Like, I didn't really care necessarily, like, specifically what the plot was that was going on. I kind of just enjoyed him going on this mission, that first 10 minutes that were silent of him just kind of going around doing this thing, being brought into the police station, him getting out of that and and then bringing in all the other characters to add into the drama of what's going on. And I just enjoyed that. I, I think the other strong scene is him coming home and realizing based on him looking at his bird, kind of like our bird, that, oh, something is not right here He's in the miss. apartment. And him yeah. slowly figuring it out and like uncovering that puzzle and uh, deactivating the surveillance microphone which was so large because of course it was 1967 <laughs> the first one he but put up like, i know the, it's the like first a tv speaker, i'm like <laughs> there's like a like a, a beatbox or radio you're putting up like of course he's gonna see that the first time he i was about to text this. you until he he changed it and i was like you know yeah. what uh, that one's at least you know under the size of his palm so i'm gonna leave it alone that that's the thing you have to vibe with this movie you're not gonna vibe with it no i you know what's funny is uh not funny but you know what's interesting to me is i actually bought into the vibe too and i actually enjoyed mm-hmm. how this movie was building up i think that in my mind, when something is an homage to samurai movies, quote unquote, right. I think I just thought, I, I just remembered, I think more like Josie Wales, you know, this idea of, mm. um, you know, like if you watch Yojimbo uh, or Senjuro or some of these, you know, Ronin samurai movies coming out of Japan, this uh, wild loner, either a murder for hire or someone who's just trying to mind his own business and gets uh, trapped into some uh, crime or political problems, etc. There's always a story underneath it that helps connect the dots and if maybe my problem with this movie is the bad guys or the people around him are not strong enough like the cop is great the woman i don't know the young prostitute Singer? I, no the oh, one or... that's covering from his wife as yeah. it turns out uh i mean she's beautiful and she's actually pretty good in it like i you know she mm-hmm. plays that role very well but i i think where i fell down was uh the crime bo- like whatever that guy is that that hired the hit you have no idea who he is and why he's trying to kill people. And so, mm. like, in the end, it just turns into this mess. Like, oh, yeah, I, I think at the end, I just felt like, why Why did this happen at all? <laughs> and that's when I kind of pulled back and I was like, I don't know. It's it's fine. I mean, so there's some of the, like, the camera work, the opening scene, you know, when they do the, the pull with the wide angle lens and you just get this feeling like you're in this weird dream as the credits rolling up. And it's so French, like... That dark room with the the misty smoke and he's just hanging out. Uh, I loved it. You know, I loved all of that stuff. Um, I, you know, the trope of the, 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 the fedora and the trench call and stuff. Mm. So cool. But I think that's the problem for me in the end. I just, I I ended up leaving the theater, quote unquote, just kind of shrugging like, what, why, why did any of it have to happen? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, I guess my pushback there again is going to be like, why does any movie have to happen? Every it's, movie uh, needs to teach you how to be a better person, Kyle. Oh, I see. That, that is, that's <laughs> the purpose of art is to make you become a better person. I think, I guess I just, I'm coming at this from a different angle. So I don't really care fundamentally 
the why behind the bosses. I, I care more about the why behind our main character. And for me, it made sense every action that he was doing. He had a job, so he goes and does his job. Kind of screws up and he has to try and fix that. And then he still has this quote unquote code, which is like, I just do the job. They give me the job and I mm. go and fulfill the job. And I think it's hampered because of the way that they decided to name this movie. Yes, it's called The Samurai. And yes, it starts with that kind of fake quote. I actually have it here. So what does it say? It says, there is no great solitude than the samurais, unless it is that of the tiger in the jungle, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. That is what it starts off, right? Stupid. <laughs> okay. Well, Dave thinks it's stupid. You're, you're right in saying, like, what is this that is being inspired by the samurai movies? Like, Kurosawa would have been, been considered one of the masters at, by this time. Yes, it's called the samurai. It starts with that samurai quote. But that has really nothing to do with Samurai. I think that's where the oddness comes in. It's just that the fact that he has a code. Like, that's really the only thing that's the same. Because his bigger influence is what you pointed out. It's, just, it's 30s and 40s Hollywood gangster movies. Like, that is what this is more akin to than anything to do with any Samurai film you'll ever watch. I will agree to a small point where I think it's hampered by the way that they decided to call this Market. movie. If it had been called, I don't know, the... Was a mob boss called like the dawn or something like that? Well, then they, maybe you could have been a little bit more. They tried to market it in, in America as the godson, yes. but stylistically, I can understand why this movie is considered pre new wave or whatever would would foster mm -hmm. in the new wave of French cinema. I can understand why so many directors see it and visually want to reproduce or be inspired by some of the like the use of shadows the jump cuts to turn on the lights so that he can change his mm -hmm. film style like, all this stuff is so cool the only kind of two samurai things that i liked is how calm he is at the beginning with his giant ring of keys as he's trying to turn on this car yeah that part was cool because he's just hanging out and he's just so disassociated and he's like so confident in himself your swagger and your bearing and the just right clothes you're wearing your short hair and your dungarees and your lace-up boots and your keys. Oh, your ring of keys. And then the gunfights tend to be like the old style, uh, I can't remember what this uh, sword fighting style is called, but like single stroke uh, kill shots instead of like these big fencing battles. The shootout on the bridge, that was very reminiscent of that type of thing. You see that in, uh, I think it was Yojimbo, where he finally has to fight the the bodyguard of the boss and it's just like a single stroke and one guy falls. Seven Samurai right. is the same thing with the, the Master Swordsman and they have that yeah. little fight and the guy's like, you lost. It's like, well, no, where's the tie? Remember? But that sort of yeah, thing yeah, where it's yeah. like a single, because you know immediately who's greater than. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it was mismarketed. Yeah, I mean, I think they're still set up and pay off with all that too. What I loved about that keys, which is something like just going ring, like key by key in this like, 50 key or maybe even more than that no, probably yeah. 50 keys he has on that key yeah. ring of him just going one by one to try and steal this car is that yeah he is so like unemotional slab of stone doing it at the very beginning but the final sequence he is sweating bullets like he's like i only have so much time to get there and i you know, am starting to crack under pressure this thing like and this is again the unfair thing of you know being a revisionist but even like a little moment, if he had dropped the key or if it, if they had held on, it took longer for him to set it up. I think that there's, there would have been something for me anyways, where I could come back into that. So I noticed it, but it's kind of glossed over very quickly. And, uh, and because I'm not a film creator, uh, I can't even understand how you pace things. I was thinking about this watching something recently and how intentional it must be, for example, even an opening credit to pace, how, how long is this text going to remain on the screen? You know, does it match a score? How do, you know, if you're shooting on film, you have to understand how much uh, real it's going to take just to have some kind of lasting mm -hmm. shot, which is probably why they stopped doing it for opening credits. <laughs> Frankly, it's just too hard to plan. So I, I don't really understand the nuance of how you select uh, what to show and what not to show, but... I think that those are the little things that uh, brought me out of it. Even with the mob boss, I don't need a, I mean, I actually dislike an overly protracted story. I mean, we could talk a little bit mm. about the new Bond, but it's the same thing. It's always oh, convoluted. Uh, what I'd like is just like one cue to understand even this guy, he kills his relationship to this underground club and to the piano player. We we don't even know. Like, it, it, why? I don't, I don't understand what's going on with 
with any of it. So, sorry, the, the mob boss's relationship to them or? Yeah, the, or whatever. I don't even know if he's a mob boss, but the businessman. It's like payback. Gotcha, the yeah, guy yeah, yeah, at the yeah. very top that he ends up yeah. uh, shooting who hired him to kill the piano player, which I think is his girlfriend or lover. I mean, it's just, it, it kind of unravels by the end, which is why, yeah, like, the cop, I love the cop. You know, he's such an asshole, but you, he gets, you get so much insight into his character just through his actions. Like, we don't need to know mm-hmm. if he's married or grew up in the police. Like, nobody gives a shit. But there were other key points where I think it was a miss. And uh, like, even with the, the girlfriend that covers from, you know enough, right? Like, her obsession with him, her ability to stay cool. Like, you know, you know, she's not technically a prostitute, but she's, you know, got these boys on the side. Like, there's a whole character built just by these glimpses into her life. The piano mm-hmm. player, we get almost nothing. The boss, we get almost nothing. That bartender who's the secondhand man, I guess, of this yeah, operation, yeah. we know nothing, you know? So, I, I just lost it by the end. I was like, I, I stopped worrying about it and, uh, you know, it's not a bad I, movie. I will yeah, say I mean, this. Fun, but, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get it. I mean, like I said at the very beginning, you're either going to vibe with it or you're not going to vibe with all it. Right, and it's going right. to be depending on what level you're going to get to. I'd like to vibe to you screaming for your life. I'll tell you the first thing that was like, Really? Is that the fact that his name is Jeff? I don't know why that <laughs> threw me off so much. Because he opens the door, and that's the first word that's spoken is his name as yep. he goes to his like girlfriend's door. She's like Jeff. I'm like, wait, what? His name is Jeff, <laughs> the Samurai Jeff. I'm yeah. just like, no. I feel like there should be something different. <laughs> Maybe that's like an American thing. I mean, are, is Jeff even a French name? Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it is. I mean, this guy's name is Alain, right? It's not Alan. Yeah, Alain Delon. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, it seems almost like too English too for American. me. But I'm sure yeah. like, there's people in there uh, like that. I do think that there are some really quality lines within this. I mean, the biggest one for me is like him saying, I never lose, at least not really. Mm. I, just, I just love that. That's a great way. And it kind of sets you up for what transpires. I actually really want to delve into the ending of this movie because right, I have sure. some thoughts on that. But we'll do that after we do some backstory here. I feel a little defensive. I, I don't mean to say this movie's bad. If you're listening to this and you think that I'm telling you not to watch it, especially if you pay for a service where it's streaming, Criterion, it's definitely worth a watch. It, it is definitely influential, but, uh, you know, it's it's not, I don't know why it's on anybody's top anything. So. Well, you know what it is? It's it, it's kind of like one of those things, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, of this certain movies just cranking me up right where it's like for most people it's like yeah it's like it's a b b plus movie it's good like i enjoyed it and then everyone else has like this is the best thing cinema has had to offer i'm like no it's, it's good but like no it's not that it's not as good as that you sometimes feel like you're ultra critical because it's like but i still liked it but like it's not like that level yeah, of back. movie this might be the vanishing point of the french new wave <laughs> perhaps maybe Perhaps for as, as high up as this movie is, there's not a whole lot written about it on the internet. Uh, I'm sure there's been books and stuff out there, but we don't have time to do that. So La Samurai was released on October 25th of 1960. It is currently rated 4.2 out of five on a letterboxd. So that high. means it is at the, and why we're partly talking about it this week, because we're ta- going through the letterboxd top 250 slowly. That means it's at the 232nd position on the top 250. Yes, that does mean that Spider-Man No Way Home is technically rated above it currently. <laughs> Anyways, it's 8.1 on IMDb. There's no available rating on Metacritic. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it has 100% from 31 critics and 94% from 10,000 plus users. It's available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can stream it on iTunes and YouTube, or it is, it is as we speak, on Criterion this month. For how much longer? Who knows? Probably like one day. Just get on it, because uh, yeah. they don't fuck around. They're just moving on, selling their rights. Yeah, exactly. Do not know what the budget or box office was this week for this movie, but uh, on Wikipedia, it does say that it received 1.9 million admissions in France. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but it certainly got it. Its plot description is, after professional hitman Jeff Costello is seen by witnesses, his efforts to provide himself an alibi drive him further into a corner. Hmm. I'm considering making this next bit thing um, like a game we could play each week, Dave. But for right now, I'm just going to say it's tagline. Do you know about taglines for movies? Sure. Yeah. You know when they have posters, sometimes they'll have like a little phrase. Most movies have a tagline. Yeah. The the tagline for this movie was, his only friend was his gun. <laughs> it's the, he doesn't even have a gun. He, he picks it up when he needs <laughs> he it from the garage. Yeah, exactly. A stupid, a stupid tagline. Now I'm angrier. 
I want, I, want to, I want to make a game maybe of, of saying like three taglines and you and have, have to, to pick what the real one is. Let's do it. Because that should not have been it. His gun. He doesn't have a gun. Did you even watch the movie? Fucking ridiculous. It stars Alain Delon as Jeff Costello, Francois Perrier as the superintendent, Natalie Delon as Jane Lagrange, and Kathy Rosier as Valerie. Anything you have to say about these actors? Other than Alain Delon's sex parties. We, those are... Yeah. Infamous. We yeah, talked about those. Listen to our Red Sun episode. I think we go on a little bit about Alando. <laughs> Considering we had a smaller I think it part. was about 45 minutes of that episode. <laughs> we just talked about his sex parties. His sex yeah. parties and his link to uh, which mafia? Who knows? Doesn't matter. But to be, fair, to be fair, Dave, those sex parties were probably more interesting than Red Sun. So. <laughs> which is such, it's so unfair that he actually made a samurai movie that should have actually been good. No, it's, no, it's even worse. It's uh. like. Having seen this and basically uh, Seven Samurai back to back, and again, you have Mifune, you have Alain Delon in this movie, like, this is fucking gold. I don't understand. This is what I'm saying, man. There was so much there. Even Charles Bronson's perfect for that movie. I know yeah. now we're just, now we're just rueful of Nights Re- We're relitigating oh, Red Sun. But fuck. Um, well, I, I mean, just, I mean, we did talk about this, but quickly again, the shout out to how influential this film is. Apparently, uh, John Woo was a big fan of this film. And when mm-hmm. he did Better Luck, uh, not tomorrow, but whatever, the Chow Yun-Fat, that's why he dressed him up in a uh, trench coat. And then yeah. it turns out Chow Yun-Fat started wearing the sunglasses from Alain Delon's uh, company. It's a tangled web. Right. It's a tangled web. This is, this is what I kind of love and of course gets lost to time and probably people would have known contemporaneously if you're in the know at least like what was going on but like that, that, that contest gets lost but like well this thing led to this thing which led to that thing which is why we do this mm-hmm. and when it's laid out for you it's like really that's how that happened <laughs> it's like this french film inspires this chinese director or this hong kong director and then the star of that movie decides to start wearing this stuff and that is why we have this style yeah. oh it's all right well Great. Francois Perrier, I'm assuming... Uh, can we just quickly talk about how much Perrier this guy drinks? Anyways, um, Francois... Is he a part of the Perrier <laughs> family? It doesn't say, but there's a... He is... A, a, he, apparently, though, he's a... Like, a, was a... At the time, was a well-known French comedian. Yeah. So, this was him being... Playing against type. It would be like Robin Williams early in his career being asked to be like, you're like the supernet, but you're not making any jokes. Right. And it's like, oh, okay. The only thing I wrote down for Francois Perrier, because it's the only thing really on Wikipedia, is that he was in uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's movie. So, existentialism. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Great. Uh, Natalie, Natalie Delon. Delon got uh, divorced at the end of this movie. So Yeah, they <laughs> yes, were kind of together. But... Yeah, they, they had a, is it is it a shotgun one when there, she's pregnant? And they get married after? Yes, yeah, yeah. So that, that's how they got married. They were together for four years. This was her first movie. And she would actually go on um, because this was so popular to kind of carve out a career for herself. But there's not a lot on her either. Kathy Rosier, the pianist, the only thing is that uh, she died very early from a ruptured aorta. Oof. That's uh, what um, uh, John Ritter, John Ritter had the same oh, thing. Oh, is that what it was? Ruptured aorta. So his heart blew up, basically. Literally, yeah. It's, so fucking scary, man. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if that ever happens to you, like, unless someone knows that is what has happened and they're on you like that, you're dead. Like, it's just... Well, yeah, I don't know if that needed a separate warning, Kyle. If your heart explodes, you're going to die. I mean, that's... You know. Well, I, I only say that because <laughs> I, I just remember at the time, I forget exactly how it happened, but it's like the doctors on the set that John Ritter collapsed on didn't diagnose it quick enough like technically he could have been saved like oh, technically but they took too long to figure out what that's what it was and then it was just too late i mean uh, in the doctor's defense my first thought would not be you know i bet this oh, guy's heart, heart exploded, exploded. <laughs> <laughs> i've seen this before yeah that's a that's a textbook heart explosion <laughs> yeah i know what that is when i read that i was i couldn't i was just like wow that's a thing you can rupture an aorta Jeez. live like you have a ruptured aorta <sighs> i guess is what the i don't know yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, that's it. And the writer, director, yeah. did you uh, do more? He's yeah, also well, got an interesting cinematography. History. Cinematography by Henri Dessayer, I think. Dessayer. I'm sorry. Dessayer. I'm sorry, French speakers. Written by Jean-Pierre Melville. Directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. Of course, Jean-Pierre's real last name is Grumbach, but he created the stage name of Melville because. He loved Moby Dick, and that's true. He yeah. just loved Herman Melville, so he decided to While take the last name Melville. The... French resistance. And this Correct. guy's no joke. Yeah, he was yeah. 
No joke. You know what's interesting, Kyle? When we looked at all these historical creators and they're actually involved in genuine world yeah. problems, and then we look at today and we're worried about Donald Trump. Like these are fundamentally different cultures. It's any reason. Well, sure. It's any, you know, it's any reason we're dying as a culture right now. It's I, embarrassing. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I agree in the abstract. Like when you have to go off to war or you're part of a resistance or you're at being a huge activist in that way, then yes, that's going to help influence and, and shape art forms and that sort of thing. At the same time, as I feel, and maybe I'm just too doom and gloom, maybe I've been hanging around with you too much, Dave, because I feel the U.S. is headed towards an actually an outright civil war again. Maybe we'll see that in like 20 years after that, uh, after the dust is settled. Yeah, we probably won't. Right. But yeah, maybe there'll be a, a new, new, new wave and mm -hmm. uh, we'll get some good Good content again. Probably not. So Melville is an important figure in film, especially in Europe, because he's referred to as the spiritual father of the French New Wave. As we said, he was greatly influenced by the Hollywood gangster movies of the 30s and 40s. And this is why many people in most of his films wear fedoras, wear trench coats, even though it doesn't necessarily make sense for them to do so. But they still do. It looks cool. He's an interesting dude in that after World War or sorry, after the French Resistance, he comes back to France. Actually, it would have been after World War II as well. So after World War II, comes back to France and tries to go to a studio or a few studios to get a job as an assistant director. And he's turned down, says, no, we, we don't want you. So what he decides to do is just self-finance his own stuff and starts his own studio <laughs> that grew into being wow. pretty big in yeah. France. He's known for a few different things. Minimalism is the big one. He was also one of the first people in France to shoot in real locations rather than sound stages. So even this movie, what was so bold about it is that we're not in a sound stage. These are real streets. These are real places in Paris that you can go to right now and uh, shoots it in kind of this documentary style almost. So a little bit further away, not as many close-ups. And that was the inspiration for French New Wave, especially Jean-Luc Godard, who was having a bit of trouble at the time editing Breathless which is a big movie, also available on Criterion currently. And Melville is the one who suggested to Godard to be like, well, just jump to the good parts, cut out all the other stuff, which is how the jump cut was created. <laughs> and every YouTuber since then has thanked them. <laughs> Content. <laughs> Probably not, but I'm just saying. That, <laughs> well, that, is, that is where it was born. Yeah. Nobody knows where it comes from. We do. Because we smart, intelligent. I mean, someone has probably written that article about how the French New Wave has inspired YouTube creators and like worked it through. But Melville passed away quite early as well mm -hmm. at the age of 55. Only uh, a few years after this movie came out, about five years after, he was literally at lunch with a friend and keeled over dead. Yikes. He had some sort of another heart thing, pulmonary something happened. He was also halfway through his next movie like writing it and so his friend who he was at lunch with was another filmmaker called philippe lebrow who said i'm going to take this up and this will be melville's last movie as directed by me which he then dropped for another project and it was abandoned and never made <laughs> oh. so that's how that's how that happened yeah that's that's a thing anyways that's about as much as i know about these people i would have thought there would have been so much more written about these people and apparently not not really i don't know this, I, I i don't did I say earlier, this is... I mean, to be fair, this is English websites I'm going to. So That's true. maybe on French websites, there'd be way more stuff. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I have become wary. I, I was thinking, did I say Vanishing Point or Tulane Blacktop? Anyways, like Tulane Blacktop or Vanishing Point, sort of retroactive reappraisal of these things means that we are now recognizing the influence this thing, this movie or his work has on the future of cinema. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it actually was that important. So like to call all this information and to document everything, you need to already have been somebody that enough people cared about <laughs> that they actually cataloged mm -hmm. this information. And, and you're right, there's definitely a bias because we look at English uh, websites that are often uh, sourced in America and America doesn't give a shit about anything non-American. Mm -hmm. um, but still, uh, there's not a lot. There's not a lot about these films. To that, to that point though of, of what gets kept... I, I'm, I'm always of the opinion, too, that oftentimes, like, truly the stuff that changes things, moves things forward, sometimes it's obvious, like, oh my gosh, this is such a bold vision and, and changes things up. You know, like the jazz singer being the first talkie, and literally every studio dropped all of their silent films at that on that day. Like, yes, you can physically see how that changed. The darkest day in film history. Who wants to hear people talk? But then you have, like, weird subtle ones that you'll see 
as the fracturing of our culture continues to go with the internet and everyone can have their own little niche that they're in, but specifically how like, and, and I just, I'm not, I'm just a bit too old for this Disney channel, original films and how much 20 year olds to 23, 24 year olds, how much that has shaped their taste and what they want to produce. And for me, I'm just like, I don't even know what you're talking about yeah. <laughs> as far as like what this inspiration is like, well, obviously this is calling back to like Hannah Montana who did this and that, and she was referenced by this. I'm like, sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it does. But it's like I have no flavor or like understanding of what this what this actually means. And I think you'll see the same thing with like in another 15, 20 years, the people who were influenced by specific YouTubers and now TikTok people and how that's going to change the art that they produce. And that's just like now like uh, a reference to a reference to a reference. That I just have no understanding about. So we can sit here and be like, well, Avatar has changed the way that films are made. But it's like, well, maybe the the more the bigger one were all these other YouTube channels that people were watching in their spare time. I mean, the internet generation means that we're over-documenting. So in 20 years, mm -hmm. we'll know where everything comes from, whether we want to or not. But yeah, it's interesting. I, I was just thinking, like, who could afford to have Disney Channel? I didn't have that money. Well, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. That, that was me too. But I mean, not to belabor the point here too much, but just talking about it's always there, that's actually not necessarily true, which is why there is now such a thing as an internet historian, because websites constantly delete their old archives. Mm -hmm. Um there's a movie reviewers, for instance, where like this website has now been bought by this subsidiary and they're like, well, we don't really need it. And they delete the whole thing. All those reviews, everything that were in the forums, everything that was there is gone. So exist. unless people have actually archived it, that gets uh, removed and forgotten. So hmm. anyways, one of my favorite podcasts, by the way, other than this one, right? Other than this one. And no one should listen to anything else but our show. Reply All, who often has stories on that where it's like, this thing is happening in the culture. Internet usually is what it's focused on. And it's like, but why, why is it here? And they work backwards. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, they're reacting to this, which started on TikTok, which was something that happened over here first, which started over on Reddit, which was actually a 4chan thing. Like, it's like, they actually go back and show you how it actually, how this meme evolved <laughs> into what we actually know it. And I always find it super fascinating. Like, I'm glad someone did the investigation because I would internet, have never known. Internet journalism. Let's talk about Frenchmen and murder. Mm -hmm. I want to talk specifically about the ending. Mm. I, as I keep coming back to, really enjoyed this movie. I loved watching him like unpack things. The one thing with these types of movies, because it's not like a lot of dialogue that helps like, explain character motivations, that sort of thing. The very end, of course, he's on his job again. He's supposed to go and kill the piano player because he's been paid off to go and kill the piano player. So that she cannot ever come back and say it was actually him. And so he puts on his white gloves that we've seen before to go and do his murder. He takes his gun. He goes and stands in front of her, pulls out the gun, and then he's shot from behind and killed. And then it's revealed, oh, there was no bullets in the gun. I want to know how you read that because I am actually a little bit flummoxed by it. Like, what was his end game here? Well, I, was he I, going there to die? Like, I, that's basically what I'm asking. Well, yeah, uh, he was going there to die. We know this, whether we agree with it or not, because he takes off his hat, mm. you know, and I think that uh, he gives the hat to the lady and he doesn't take the chit. So you already know he's not playing to leave. Right. And I think uh, if we were to ask the bigger question, like, why does that happen? And this is, and it goes to my, my main criticism. I have absolutely no idea. Here's a guy that's... Uh, he has a uh, code, Dave. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's weird, you know, and now that you brought up Ghost Dog, I think Ghost Dog took this and actually kind of workshopped it so it would actually work. Right. It doesn't come off as... It is remarkable how closely the, the storylines right. basically run, run next to each other. Although, yeah, but Jim Jarmusch realized if I'm going to do a samurai movie, this guy needs to actually seem like a samurai. But any at any rate, I mean, you know, he comes to the end of this frantic few days I mean, even like marking the days got a little, I mean, it didn't pay off. I mean, who gives a shit at the end of the day what time it was when these events happened? It, it didn't turn into kind of a whodunit. It wasn't important for us to know that at 1600 Samedi, this thing started. No, nobody gives a shit at the end. Yeah. But he walks in and, you know, I guess it's supposed to be this shocking revelation that this woman is the target for the second contract. Right. But he killed the guy that set up the contract. So why is a great question, Kyle. And I don't think even Jean-Pierre Melville has an answer for that. I think it became too much uh, style and it became something where it's more like, this would be neat. 
Because we, you know, mm-hmm. l- let's just have them die, and then they just threw it all away. It, it was anticlimactic for me, and I, I can't really read anything deeper into it because I don't think there's a lot of depth in the intention of this film, uh, frankly. This is where I tend to agree with you a little bit. I, I, I can't. It was the only part of the movie that I really felt let down by. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, it's the ending, so it's like the last thing you think about <laughs> as so you stop. Thing, it's right? like, yeah. oh, I just wish there was more there, there at the very end. Like, I, I'm totally cool with that idea of him going there. Like, I know I'm going to die. I don't know. I just, I, I, I kind of agree with you on that point. I wanted there to be a little bit more resonance there, or even like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe you had to make this hard, tough choice at the very end. Uh, yeah. Mostly because we haven't seen them interact all that much exactly. throughout the the movie. And yeah, she's not. She doesn't have enough depth for us to understand why either she's worth dying for or there's nothing left for him uh, to pursue. Yeah. I just had this thought about how close this is to payback as well. And I don't mm. know what the line is between them because it's just a you know neo-neo-noir, I suppose. When you get this idea of bringing in crime families and killers, I personally need some understanding of what makes somebody evil and what makes somebody bad but um, you know respectable and if the only thing is that this guy is an automaton like a robot and he's got a very structured way of approaching his life and setting up his alibis i don't actually care at the end i don't care Mm -hmm. that he dies i I don't actually care that the mob boss died I, i don't i just don't care at the end and i think if he walked away from it or if we had gotten more information about the pianist either that she was kind of under duress and not like a like a caged bird so to speak yeah i think there could have been one more little thing right that that you'd be like oh shit of course you know he's letting the bird free or he's in love with her because they're gonna try to think but there's no way out but that's not how this plays out and um, i don't have an explanation for it some of the things that I loved. I love the look of this movie. I like that yes. film grain from the late 1960s into the 70s. Alain Delon, I know I'm horny all the time on this show, but like he's just a beautiful guy to look at. Yeah. I just I enjoy looking at his face. My favorite sequence really was him coming back home, looking at the bird, mm. figuring out like, okay, there's something going on here. Where can I go and look in my apartment and, f- and, and figure out what's, what's, what's going on? I think that's a great way to like wordlessly communicate what is happening and how he's figuring it out. And it's gotten to me, like, I, it's not like this is always the case. But I, I think as I get older, I do prescribe to that whole maxim of less is more. Like, I don't need someone to come and, like, twirl their mustache and be like, this is why I'm doing the thing I'm doing. And I'm like, I don't really need that. We could use I more actually, mustaches, I think, in film. It could <laughs> use more mustaches. I was reminded of this, honestly, I was, uh, I rewatched on New Year's Eve, uh, Jaws, one of my favorite movies of all time. And there's this moment at the very end, spoiler alert, the shark blows up. What? And they're both in the water, and we've already seen the character Quint eaten by a shark. And so the character of Hooper just goes to Brody, and he's like, Quint? He just asks the question, Quint? And, and, and Brody just like shakes his head, no. And that's all you need. You, you, like, they totally, you totally get from those characters what they're asking, what they mean, what, what the meaning is behind those words, and they start paddling back to shore. And I just think that this is another great example of that, is like, you don't have to have like an internal monologue, like right. running through his head, like, "Well, if this is happening, then I have to go over here." And like, oh, Why of course, is that the bird bird's is mentioned. butt feather on the floor. Yeah, right. And it's like, of course, we don't need that. So it's 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 that great way to communicate that stuff that's going on. I also wrote down in my notes here is like, how this is this is partly because I love detective fiction, and I was so taken by like Sherlock Holmes as a young kid. Like, oh, if only I was more observant, I would just notice all these things that are going on. Not technically true, but you know what I mean? It's, but I'd like the idea of like, if you're just a bit more observant of your surroundings, how much you could like read people or read a situation and being like, okay, I know what's happening. I'm going to go this route or I'm going to do this thing. I think this movie really exemplifies that in so many cases. I can deduce that you're a scared little man. I really like in the same tone, the fact of it's like a revelation why he even has a bird. You know, when, when mm-hmm. the opening scene, I'm like, yeah, it could be a metaphor because he's like a caged bird, man. <laughs> but then it turns out to be a useful tool. I, I love all the scenes where he's losing tails and just being a little bit one up uh, above everybody around him. You know, the, the subway chase scene is great. You know, all those little nuances are, are really well thought out. I think, and I, I think this I wonder is what, if that, honestly, I wonder if that inspired somewhat um, the French Connection. French Connection, for sure. I was thinking about that. Absolutely. Again, we don't know if there's a direct line, but it will permeate through culture and end up in so many 
so many things we take for granted now. Uh, and as you brought up, mm-hmm. if this is the first time they brought a, a film camera onto the metro uh, in Paris, yeah. then yeah, absolutely. Fuck, man. We see that everywhere. It's important now. Uh, it's required mm-hmm. for me to feel like... And this is... Helen always teases me. I hate when I notice that something's on a stage or on a green screen because I want it to be real. If you have the budget of Red Notice, why is everybody in a studio, right? It's, it's us throwing it's red notice under the bus again, but it is it is remarkable how many scenes are like oh those three actors were not on set at the same no. time yeah <laughs> like, there's, there's no way that there. they were there's a commercial now where these two guys win a ticket and Wayne Gretzky appears with them like they are not they're not even in the same city as Wayne Gretzky in the show because he would never <laughs> uh, stand in front of two people uh, no. to do a Tim Hortons commercial I don't know I I, lo- I love that stuff man like I, I don't hate this movie I just I think you put it best. Because the end is so disappointing, I can't but think of this movie as disappointing. But when we discuss mm. everything that happened before, how it's shot, what it looks like, all the intentional things, uh, asking Dylan to not say anything, scripting, it's, it's beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. it's got a lot of stuff in it. The only last thing I'll say is the fact that what Melville initially wanted to happen was him dying with a huge smile on his face. Mm. But apparently, Delon had just made another movie where he did the exact same thing, uh, so they had to change no. it. So he was very disappointed that he had to change his ending because he, he liked the idea of him smiling at Yeah. We're done here. All right. Well, the machine has told us that we do need to wrap this up, which does mean, Dave, that we are here now in our segment called Critics' Choice. Critics' Choice. If anyone does want to make us a little jingle, go right ahead. This is the part of the show where... Critics' Choice. Critics' Choice. This is the part of the show where we try and go and see what the critics thought at the time this film was released. Uh, Actually, both of these reviews are coming after the film was released because I couldn't find a lot of contemporary stuff. So Roger Ebert added this movie to his great movies list. He gave it a four star out of four star review. This is is why you're trying to defend this movie so much. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's, a, what, here's partly what he said. One of the pleasures of Le Samurai is to realize how complicated the plot has grown in its flat, deadpan way. With little, with little dialogue and spare scenes of pure action, most of it unsensational, the movie devises a situation in which Jeff is being sought all over Paris by both the police and the underworld, while he simultaneously puts his own plan into effect and deals with both women. The movie teaches us how action is the enemy of suspense, how action releases tension instead of building it. Better to wait for a whole movie for something to happen, assuming we really care whether it happens, than to sit through a film where things we don't care about are happening constantly. I loved him. I Whether or not you agree with that in regards to this movie, I actually love that sentiment that he wrote about at the very end there. I was just thinking, you, if you write that sentiment in a review... And you put that to Black Widow, that's a great way to describe a one-star review. <laughs> oh, I, I, well, I, I kind of agree, though. Like, Black Widow is a good example. Um, I would even go so far as, like, some of the other Marvel stuff I wasn't a huge fan of. Like, The Eternals. I'm, like, the one person who didn't like Shang-Chi, apparently. Sorry. but Racist. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it's true. It's, like, action scene after action scene after yeah, action scene exhausting. after a while. It's like, I don't... I don't care. Yeah. Like, I agree. Like, if we did not, this is, this goes back to my pitch that again, I'd be the only one who cared about it. But how cool would a new, whether it's a superhero movie or a big budget blockbuster, and it's like, it's an, just an interrogation scene or just something very small scale that's happening for like 90 minutes and then boom, everything hits because the tension has been ratcheted up so much that it just explodes into something. Anyways, I just like that, I, that, that mentality of, yeah, constant action is not how you make something tense. Yeah. It's, you get rubbed raw, right? I mean, mm-hmm. somebody just keeps poking you. Fellas, I am single, so yes. <laughs> it's interesting too. I don't know. Do I agree with Roger Ebert? I mean, clearly I don't. Um, but do I? I don't know. It's not wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's, I, yeah. it's not wrong. I think Let's this is something that. that I might want to just revisit in like oh. a couple of years from now and be like, okay, this hits differently. And now, because I don't have the expectation of this being the best movie of all time, yeah, right, right. I can just settle into it a little bit better. The other reviewer I picked here, I wanted to do Pauline Kale, of course, but apparently she didn't have a review for this movie. So instead, I went and found this from Letterboxd, the user Justin Peterson. Nice. Oh, he gave it three stars out of five. Okay. And he writes, I completely agree that Le Samurai is a very stylish landmark film in the crime noir genre. But its simplistic story and very methodical pacing kept me from ever getting fully invested in it. 
While Jeff is blank-faced for most of the movie, I liked how towards the end his stress level was much more visible with how he is panicking to find the right key for the last car he, he uses, and when he evades the police on the subway. It kind of bugs me that the story only featured one contract kill, and the rest is just the aftermath that he deals with because of how sloppy he was in taking out his one victim. We then never get a good sense of why the people that hired him are so flaky. Overall, I thought Le Samurai was an okay crime movie, but I think I prefer movies it inspired, like Ghost Dog, more than the original source material. Wow. Uh, 75 people like that review. I feel like he wrote my thoughts. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. He also stole my score. But let's talk about that. Yeah. Okay, well, we're, before we get to that, I mean, we have to answer the two questions we always ask, which is, does this hold up? And is it still culturally relevant? What do you say? I don't know. I mean, I guess yes and yes. I, I think the, its impact on this style and tone, I'm, uh, although you could argue that because it's derivative of a pre-existing one, like, is it more important to talk about, I don't know, Maltese Falcon or, or something like that? So I don't, I don't actually know. Can you watch this today? I think so. If you're okay with being disappointed in the end by like a weird finale. I'm hesitating a lot on this one. I think I was just so ramped up from last week and mm -hmm. watching The Apartment and seeing something that's yeah. held up so well to something now that's allotted and I just, I still don't really get it. So You don't like deep, somber films, Dave. It's okay <laughs> to admit it. <laughs> yeah, I like the, I'm laughing because you used the word deep. I, I would love yeah. to hear what that means for you. <laughs> I mean, I think... Weirdly, I, I disagree in that, yes, I think it holds up. I think this is something that anyone could watch nowadays. There's similar films, I think, being made as far as like not a lot of dialogue and, and you're supposed sure. to be on this journey. And again, that vibe is there. We'll talk about it here in a second, but it's, it's very drive-like in that way, right? It's like mm -hmm. this stoic character going on a journey, right? As far as cultural relevance, this is always the question I have the hardest time answering because for sure, it inspired a bunch of stuff. I'll go through it here in just a moment. But that's the influence it had on other people. And those are, I think, are the movies that now are what people refer to. So I guess it has relevance in that way. Right. But would, would a modern audience sit down and be like, oh, my God, this is so relevant to, to the time? No, but you're still going to enjoy it. You're just going to have a good time. Yeah, we guess. So I don't know. I don't know how I fit there. I think I might be a yes and no. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, we've run into this problem before. How far back do you go? And uh, is it only important to be the absolute first? It's impossible, right? Because all art builds yeah. on itself. So. Which is why The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is canonically the best movie of all time. Wow. I don't even know <laughs> what language you're speaking there. Um, yeah, let's do okay, the list. That, that's why we have to go back to Train Entering the Station is canonically the best film wow. of all time. Cultural relevance, though, that we do have to uh, admit to here is that Walter Hill's The Driver features the same plot dynamic. John Woo's The Killer is heavily influenced by this movie. We've talked about Jim Jarmusch's Ghost Dog. The 2010 movie, The American, starring George Clooney, has very many similarities for the, from this movie. Similar to uh, Ryan Gosling's character in Drive, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. And lastly, probably the biggest cultural influence, is the 2012 song from Madonna called Beautiful Killer. Uh, which is more actually about Alain Delon than about this movie specifically, oh, but it does reference in... this movie. Really? Yeah, it's written, oh. written, performed. You can go listen to it now on no, YouTube. I'm okay. I'll pass. But uh, yeah, she's been over for a while, Kyle. We should just look like that. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact, born on the exact same day and year as my mother. Oh. So interesting. Fun there fact. There it is. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. Apparently. That's a fact. Is it fun? You're, you can tell me. Listen, we do need to rate this film, but before we do, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to kyleanddavevsthemachine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle kdvstm. We also release two videos each week on the YouTube channel. Sometimes. Uh, I said the YouTube channel. I should have said our YouTube channel mm. that matches the movies we're talking about that week. So on Mondays, we react to the trailer. And then on Fridays, it's a mini review of that film. Lowest form of entertainment. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, which is letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, Please you do. can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes to this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the reading of this movie. Dave, we are talking right now, because we haven't officially got to the new season here yet, about the top 250 
So on that list that we're making over on Letterboxd, uh, what would you rate La Samurai? Yeah, I think it's a three for me. You know, in spite of its size, I think there's so many cool things that happen in it. But as a film, I can't get over the fact that I would walk out of the theater and just be doing a lot of shrugging and grimacing uh, <laughs> until we hit the F- Parisian cafe and start talking about th- like this, the nuances of it. And I would mm-hmm. light up because I'm like, yeah, that part was cool. And they did do a great job. And then you would bring up the ending and I'd be throw my espresso on the street and walk away. Oh, uh, I would still finish my croissant because I'm not. I'm gonna <laughs> I think Helen told me <laughs> waste uh, that food. in France, you never, or is it Italy? You never put milk in your coffee in the afternoon. Lattes just for the morning. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That feels like a like a old wives' tale or something. It's like you know what? You never put your milk into your coffee. In they the will afternoon. punch you. They just and, be like get and out. Supposed to and it's supposed to tell you to like save for the future or something like that. That's what that's an old timey phrase. I definitely did like it more than you did. I do. I do feel let down a bit by the ending, but I did like the rest of the movie quite a bit. So I'm giving it a four, a solid four. Four. Can you uh, can you pronounce that again for me, just to be clear? A quattro. 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 Uh, so that does mean. That then we're going to average to 3.5 on our top 250 list then that is going to tie with one other film that we have talked about already, which is another European filmmaker, Fellini, Knights of Kiberia is what that. So do you think that this is a better film or worse film than Knights of Kiberia? It's a tough one. Number one, because I am now trying to remember Knights of Kiberia. I mean, uh, what mm-hmm. what's her name? She was great in it. She's... Julietta something. Yeah, I'm going to put Knights of Kibiria above because now that I'm remembering that movie, she's incredible in it. She just does the yeah. full, she gives you the full show. It's just such a weird film because it's American, uh, Italian New Wave. So <laughs> I think I that's left right. that as well going, what the fuck did I just watch? But it is a, that's a great movie. Like the colony of, yeah. not lepers, but cave people. It's a, it's that's right. That's yeah, right. It's a weird it's a weird movie, but I like it. Yeah, I would I would do the same thing, honestly. I'm not going to fight too much with this. I think Nights of Kibiria is a stronger film overall. That means that entering our list at the new number 11 position out of 14 films. Wait, what's below? What was below? Well, right now, it, there's only two other films, but they're way lower. Mm-hmm. So we have A Clockwork Orange and Throw Away Your Books. Oh, those are both in the, the 250. Okay, yep. But our, like right now, of the, of the movies we have talked about that are on the top 250, uh, our top 10 are Knights of Kiberia, Magnolia, The Devils, Godfather Part 2, City Lights, The Iron Giant, The Apartment, Yee Yee, Fight Club, Spirited Away. Mm, mm. Spirited Away is the one that is to be beaten at this point. Yeah, it sets a tone. We're, we're very young and uh, <laughs> fun-loving. I just watched Spirited Away with uh, my son three, uh, just before we went to Toronto. He loved it. We tried once when we watched it uh, a year ago. He was too yeah, young. Yeah. He was too gross. Too young. When the parents turned to pigs, he, he like ran away. But he loved it. Yeah. He's growing up, Kyle. Do you watch the... Yeah, you probably watch the like English dub version for him. Yeah, with him, I have to watch the English dub. He reads subtitles, yeah, but uh, it moves too fast yeah. in movies. Well, let's see what we're going to be reviewing next week here, Dave. I'm going to push this button right here. I'll do your Foley. Nice. So I get, we're rounding out. We're finishing off this like purgatory session here. <laughs> this limbo session that we've had here over the last few weeks of going limbo. through the top yep. before we go again into our main season. But we are going to be watching Tokyo Story. Cool. This will be my first time watching any film by Ozu. I've the never, other I seen Japanese it. master. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. So not to raise the expectations too high, but it better be a fucking five, Kyle. Otherwise, I'm I'm leaving. All right, all right. Yeah, I'm turning this thing off. <laughs> no, I, I'm excited. That's also supposed to be uh, a banger. And um, oh shit, the the bird's dead, Dave. When did that happen? What does that mean? Oh wait, that's the wrong signal. That means we're gonna die. That's carbon monoxide. Oh yeah, shit. Good carbon. That's why I've been so happy over the last like 20 minutes or so. So it's better than a ruptured aorta. The spit and not give you any ideas about hitting machines.